0: But underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to buryyourgold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Hello, everybody. Dave Hodges here, host of The Common Sense Show. We are the show that is freeing America one enslaved mind at a time. Excuse me. Thank you so much for joining us. We are really glad to be with you. We have a good guest today. It's going to be. and we kind of along the lines of what you've heard a little bit of what Paul Preston has talked about on previous appearances on our show. But we're going to take more of an historical deep dive with this as we are as suppose, just staying in the current events genre that Paul and I did when we did a couple of shows on the Jesuits. But uh, we're going to look at uh, what's happening to our youth. And if you haven't heard, ladies and gentlemen... There's a new social justice warrior cause out there. They're naming it Fat Phobia. And professors are lecturing on this to your kids' universities as I say these words. And uh, it's they're never going to stop running out of causes to try to undermine the family and our values. And we're going to hit a lot of that with Chris Pinto. But first, got to take care of some business. Um, if you can't see by now... That the food supply is in great jeopardy. I mean, we've done shows where truckers are saying, Dave, when diesel reaches $8 a gallon, I'm done. Sometimes they say 10, usually it's 8. Uh, I don't need to go any further, but I'll just say fertilizer, leave it at that. If you don't have your storable food, you're about ready to run out of time to get it, because getting it to you will be the problem. So, I want you to let's save time here. I won't go through all the details. You've heard me talk about it a lot. It's a quality product, especially for the times we're in. Go to preparewithdave.com. They have not raised their prices. They still have sales in effect. I cannot believe they're doing that. We walked into in and out Burger last night and had about a 20% price increase. And we were going, okay, sticker shock, here we are. Well, they're not doing that, so preparewithdave.com. You also, if the grid goes down and Putin's threatening it and who knows about false flags, but uh trust me, don't get caught without water filtration. Once you're unable to get the water from your own tap, you're going to have to forage, and you're going to need a water filter, and not one. The rule of thumb is about one per family member because of the volume needs. So go to waterwithdave.com. All the research you need to see about the product is there. It's number one in the field, the Alexa Pure Pro Water Filter. And it's interesting. They ran out until they found some in the supply chain they didn't think was there or coming. And so they made me the exclusive vendor for the entire country. I'm the only one selling. And when we run out because it's from Shanghai, it's over. I mean, it's done. And the government's buying up a lot of the rest of them. So, again, urgency is the key here, waterwithdave.com. And then finally, last item here, you know I represent Noble Gold. I do not believe in leaving your assets in the bank a couple, three months, maybe six months at most of expenses. But if you go beyond that, don't leave in there what you can't afford to lose. The economic uh, tea leaves are not good. And Noble Gold will get you diversified. It's not just gold. They have IRA conversion programs. Where they gold back them. They have all kinds of programs available. And you know I went from advertiser to customer. I'm a customer of Noble Gold now for, oh gosh, going on four years now. And uh, you need to diversify your assets. If you're one of the 40% of Americans that don't have a $1,000, God bless you. I wish you better fortune. Buy food. But if you have a nest egg to protect, you don't have to be wealthy. You owe it to yourself to contact Noble Gold at 877 646 646 5347 Well, I don't have a good biography on Chris Pinto, except I know he does documentaries on history. And he gives you the true history, not the revisionist history. And he's been on, uh, my colleague uh, from the Doug and Dave Intel Report, Doug Thornton, he's been on Doug's show. And I watched the interview and I said, wow, this is really, really good stuff. Chris, I want to welcome you to the show, but just by way of introduction, can you tell the audience a little bit about your background?
1: Oh, sure, sure. So I'm Chris Pinto, and uh, I'm a Christian. And I have a Christian film company called Adullam Films. And the uh, the word Adullam, the name Adullam, A-D-U-L-L-A-M, comes from the Old Testament, First Samuel chapter 22, where you have the cave of Adullam, and that's where David, when he was being persecuted by King Saul, he fled and he hid in the cave of Adullam, and there the outcasts, all the outcasts of uh, Israel gathered around him. He became their leader and of course from there they go out and they they do battle against the enemies of israel and so we've always believed that was a very beautiful picture of the lord jesus christ who gathers the outcasts right and uh, so we fight the good fight of faith through our work in film and video production um so that's that's our film company i've also got a uh, radio program called noise the thunder radio which you can find at noise of thunder and we talk about the bible history world events we talk about probably a lot of the same issues that you're talking about on your show uh and certainly some of the issues that uh that doug is talking about on his uh, american invicta and uh, it's been great to meet doug here recently we met through a mutual friend and uh so yeah we, we we talk about things from a biblical worldview but i like going into a lot of history that's what my documentaries are known for
0: Yeah, well, I think it's very, very healthy because um, we are walking down some familiar paths, at least superficially, that have caused me great concern. I've used the term uh, mal-cultural revolution when it comes to our children, critical race theory, sexualizing five-year-olds with this nonsense curriculum. I've also talked about the brainwashing of American kids against uh, the government and our society as a whole. Um, in the secondary and post-secondary educational institutions, very much reminiscent of the Soviet Union and their educational practices, and then, of course, the good old Hitler Youth Movement. You know, it's, uh, it's cool to be woke and to take on these woke causes. And quite frankly, you know, I keep up on things pretty well, and I hear... Uh, I'm non-binary. I don't even know what that means. And then I'm gender <laughs> fluid. I think it means they change uniforms in the middle of a game. Uh, yeah. I, I, and, and, and I'm not here to put people down, but they've just thrown this stuff on it. It's nonsense. It violates science, biology. It's crazy. And, and so, are we looking at the wholesale? Uh, shall we say, emotional and mental destruction of our youth and turning them away from their parents, their society, the former allegiances that held us together?
1: Yeah, I think there's no question that that's what's
0: happening. The, the,
1: our schools are, are, many of them are indoctrination centers. I'll tell you a story. We grew up in a military family. My dad was in the U.S. Army 23 years. And back in the 70s, we were stationed over in Germany. And we saw a lot of World War II memorials, graveyards. We saw Patton's grave in Luxembourg, uh beautiful, beautiful monument memorial to uh, General Patton there and to his troops. We also went to Dachau, the concentration camp, and that was a very powerful experience. But, so we knew about Nazi Germany. You know, We grew up as an American military family. We knew all about Nazi Germany. We knew lots of details most people, I think, today don't know. So fast forward now, many years later, I grew up with me myself and my two sisters. My twin sister, Patty, now, has two boys. Her second son was graduating high school. This is probably six or seven years ago. He was graduating high school. He came home one day from school, was talking to his mother, my sister, and said, you know, Mom, I think... I think socialism would be good for America. And my sister turned and looked at him with horror and said, son, don't you know that Hitler was a socialist? And he said, no, no, that's not true. And then my sister had to sit down with him and talk to him about this and say, look, we got to have a talk here, you know, because, you know, we grew up in Germany. We know about this. Uh, We all took for granted back in the 70s and 80s That Adolf Hitler was a socialist and Nazism was national socialism. Mm -hmm. But here, one of, one of the kids in our family who thanked the Lord, he's, you know, he now understands what's happened with the schools, uh, because we informed him. But we were shocked that he would come home and think that socialism was a good idea and that he would have no idea that Hitler and the Nazi movement was a socialist movement. Uh, and today they're flat out denying that nazism was socialism and one of the things i talk about on my radio program is that the democratic party has adopted virtually every political doctrine of the nazis from the 1930s and 40s that's true and most yeah most people don't know they they have no idea they don't realize the nazis supported environmentalism politically animal rights activism uh, abortion they were the, the reason why Germany resisted abortion on demand for so many years, is because it reminded them of Hitler. Okay, modern American pro-abortion uh, uh, activists are usually shocked when they learn that over in Germany they they don't have the free and easy abortion system that we've had here. But the reason is because it reminds them of Hitler. Uh, then you have things like the promotion of Islam as something good and positive for society. A lot of people don't realize it was the Nazis who developed all the pro-Islamic propaganda, uh, that they worked with the Muslims. In fact, Hitler had tens of thousands of Muslims in his German army. They were called the SS Hanschar units. They had uh, Their symbol was the uh, swastika with a curved sword of Islam, Okay, that's what the word hanshar means. And they wore the red fez, like the Turks. And for those who don't know, the red fez uh, comes from the town of Fez, where centuries ago Christians were slaughtered by the Muslims, and their fez, their hat, is normally white. And they took their caps off, dipped it in the blood of the Christians, and held it up in the air and shouted, Allah Akbar, and this kind of thing. And that's where the blood red fez is said to have originated.
0: Yeah, but Hitler also started the Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah. Um he gave it shape and form, didn't he?
1: Well, I don't I don't think um oh it was an Egyptian school teacher who started the Muslim Brotherhood, but it was started during that era, from what I understand. Hitler worked with the um the grand mufti of uh Jerusalem and uh he he and and with the uh, the Palestinian movement, that's the thing. The whole Palestinian-Islamic movement was deeply intertwined with Hitler and the Nazis. There's a great book called uh, Islam and Nazi Germany's War by David Motadel. And that book details lots of lots of historic information that I usually recommend to people if they just want to get one resource and read up on it. Uh, but it's very, very powerful. People have no idea how deeply intertwined Hitler was with Islam. I've even got a presentation that I've done in some conferences where I talk about this mass uh, immigration of Muslims into Western Europe and into America and so on, is, I believe, I think if you go back and you read the records from the 1930s and 40s, there are quotes from Hitler where he said he wished that the Muslims had defeated the Christians at the Battle of Tours. And He we said, "Well, then all of Western Europe would have become Muslim, and we wouldn't have had to deal with christianity the uh The Nazis saw Christianity really as an obstacle for them because Christian morality and the Christian conscience and the Bible and so on would not allow them to cooperate with the you know the genocidal murder of Jews and others who they saw as undesirable uh and they believed that Christians were their. Number one obstacle, and many of the Nazis converted to Islam uh, after the war, and that's another thing that many people are not aware of.
0: But, well, one uh, of the things, going back to the Muslim Brotherhood, just for a second though, I don't want to leave that too soon. Uh, I remember reading Eisenhower felt that you know, as he moved across North Africa, that the Muslim Brotherhood presented just as great a threat threat as the Nazis did. And they were they were fighting for the nazis is that not true was eisenhower well, wrong
1: well that, I'm, I'm not sure about uh, eisenhower now my information on the muslim brotherhood is that it was it was actually founded by a guy named hassan albana in 1928 and yeah. he was an egyptian islamic scholar and school teacher and so albana he was the founder of the muslim Brotherhood. now certainly uh, if if you read Moda Del's book, what he talks about is how, from World War One, because he goes all the way back to World War One, this, what's sometimes called the red-green axis, red being communism and socialism, and green being Islam, that alliance you can trace back to the First World War. And what happened was Germany got into an alliance with the Ottoman Empire, the Muslims. Okay, and it was Germans who helped the Muslims carry out, for example, the Armenian Genocide. Uh, In fact, if you read history books on this, they talk about how Germany is said to have been uh, Turkey's schoolmaster, that it was German leaders who...
0: With Dave.com. That's water with Save $80 for a short time.
1: And, and taught them what to do, how to separate the men from the women, and et cetera, and mass murder uh, about a million Armenian Christians during that time. Uh, and many people make reference to that as having laid the groundwork for the Holocaust that happened during World War II. But what happened was the German leaders tried to use. Islam, the Muslims, in the colonies of the French and the English, because they were the enemy during World War I. So they tried to get these Islamic uprisings to kind of destabilize the, uh, you, know, you know, the British Empire and also France. But it didn't work very well. If you read the histories on it, they say it didn't work very well. But that relationship continued from World War I into World War II. And in between the two, that's when the Muslim Brotherhood is formed.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm not even talking so much about the formation of it. I'm talking about commandeering it for the purposes of what the Nazis were trying to do in North Africa. Is that, is that history incorrect?
1: You know what? I honestly couldn't tell you about that in particular. Okay. That, that's All what right. I'm not sure about, Dave, honestly.
0: We'll put that, you know, I know Eisenhower was concerned about it. When I read some of his memoirs, he talked about how they'd come in after a battle and they would pick the GIs' bodies clean before the U.S. forces could do the cleanup. And he also said there was sabotage and ambushes and so forth that he attributed to the Muslim Brotherhood, and they said they were working for the Nazis. That's what I was referencing. And so when you brought up the Nazis and Muslims, I go, yeah, that, there's a strong connection there. There's no question. Um, is, is it still present today? Does it still does that association still influence Germany, or have they outgrown it?
1: No, I think it's. I think it. I think it explains what's going on in Germany today. Uh, in fact, if you study uh, Angela Merkel, who was the German chancellor there, the, the big leader of Germany for many years, and oversaw the mass importation of Muslims, her political party is traced, the Christian Democratic Union, the CDU, is traced back to the um, the Catholic Center Party during World War II. If you get the book uh, Hitler's Pope by John Cornwell, he talks about the Catholic Center Party, he says it was that party that ultimately gave Hitler his absolute power, politically, and allowed him to carry out the Holocaust because of it. And uh, so the Catholic Center Party, that was Hitler's chief instrument there, politically, in the German government at that time. Well, all the members from that party who knew about this relationship with the Muslims... I mean, you study, like, the Palestinian uh islamic movement uh they they have palestinian flags from world war ii that have the nazi symbols on it with the iron eagle the swastika and the word palestina on them uh there's a reason why your uh, palestine police today use the nazi salute because they know about this relationship that goes back to hitler they're still reading copies of Mein Kampf over there today um and so yes albana would have been you know and the muslim brotherhood would have been part of that whole association i think that's my understanding okay uh, you know but but uh, if you study for example um Otto skorzani skorzani was called hitler's favorite commando they've even got a documentary on him on either netflix or amazon um and skorzani was he did all of these daring exploits and so on as a, as a commando using asymmetrical warfare methods that were very innovative. And he was feared and admired even by the Allies. But after the war, he taught people like Yasser Arafat and many of the Muslims modern methods of terrorism. In fact, the Skorzani Syndrome, that's what it's called. There's even a book by that name. That argues that modern Islamic terrorist activities with bombings, hijacking planes, all the methods that they use have their point of origin in Otto Skorzeny, this Nazi commando. Literally. I mean, there's a whole history to this that most people are not aware of. And it's just when, when you, when you begin to go into it, you know, bringing all of this back to education, you wonder how it is that these very important details in the history of the 20th century are not being taught in our schools and colleges and universities. Uh, Especially as we're watching millions of Muslims being brought in from uh, the Middle East and all these different countries and they're being brought into Western Europe they're being brought into the United States and yet warnings about how these people think and the fact that they wanted to invade and subjugate Western Civilization for 1,400 years, all of that has been somehow or other scrubbed out of our history books.
0: It is amazing, but he who controls the past controls the future. So, you know, the perceptions are everything. I, I remember in the Vietnam War that when the Viet Cong took over a village, the first people they would kill, besides the politicians, would be the teachers. And does. Lass. And that's uh, and In fact, I had a lot of GIs tell me that. They'd go into these villages in the after. And, and they were confused. They said, why would they kill these teachers who they're a threat to? And then you know, it was explained to them, oh, okay, we get it. This is like Nazi Germany. And uh, I, I, that was a phenomenon there. So I, I think we're seeing that here in spades. But what we're also seeing, too, and I wonder if you have historical precedent for this, I'm, I'm going to describe the relationship of the NEA, the National Education Association, um, um, our Attorney General, Merrick Garland, uh, and School Board-approved uh, curriculum, which many of them receive remuneration for, whether it's Golden Parachutes or some other deal, that they're, they're following a script that says, we're co-parents with these kids. You pay the bills, and we'll tell them what to believe. Um, is this is almost like Hitler Youth Movement. Is that a fair association, or how do you see it?
1: Oh, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. You and I were talking before you know we started the program, and I was telling you about how my belief is, my understanding of history, is you can trace this whole methodology all the way back to the beginning of what is called the Counter-Reformation that officially began in 1540. You had most people know about the great Protestant Reformation with Luther and uh, Knox and uh, Calvin and all the Reformers and so on. Uh, But then what happened is because the Reformation was so influential and so many countries and territories were turning away from the papacy and adopting Protestantism, um, the Pope launched the Counter-Reformation with a Spanish soldier named Ignatius Loyola. Uh, and he was officially commissioned in the year 1540 to do uh, whatever was needed to overturn Protestantism and the results of Protestantism. And it's, uh, it's very one of the things I point out in my film, The True Christian History of America, uh, which is the one that, uh, that I, I was interviewed by Doug Thornton about. But uh, in that film right before Samuel Adams signed the Declaration of Independence, he gave a speech, and he said at the climax of it, he said, I trust from this day forward the reign of political Protestantism shall commence, because that's how the Declaration of Independence was seen. It was seen really as a, um, you know, a, 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 a climactic point, kind of the destination point of the principles of the great Protestant Reformation where politics and government are concerned. That rights come from God based on the laws of nature and of nature's God, meaning that's a direct reference to the Bible. If you study Blackstone uh, and and others, um, and if you study the Reformers, you study Luther, Knox, Calvin, uh, Zwingli, They all talk about that principle based on Psalm chapter 19 and Romans chapters 1 and 2. That God's judgments are seen in all the earth and the creation. And those judgments are perfectly represented in the Bible, in the pages of what they call divine revelation. So, recovering the Bible, that's what the Reformation was about. Rome had outlawed the Bible, forbade anyone from reading the Bible... In fact, one of the things that I talk about in my research is many modern Christians don't really know what the Inquisition was. They think the Inquisition was some kind of movement to try to force people to become Christians. That was not the Inquisition. The Inquisition outlawed the Bible, outlawed the Ten Commandments, outlawed the preaching of the Gospel. Parents were put to death. They were literally burned at the stake, for teaching their children the 10 commandments. That's that's what happened during the Inquisition. Why does
0: this feel familiar for <coughs> excuse, excuse me, why does this feel familiar for today?
1: Well, exactly. I've, in fact, I've I've often said that I think the reason that this information has been either altered or covered up is because if Americans knew these things you would begin to see the parallel between what happened during the Inquisition and what is currently happening with this secular, humanist, progressivist, really Marxist movement in our country. See, I see, it the, I see
0: it that way too, Chris. Let me interject this, and then I want you to run with this. The old saying, you know, where they burn books, they will soon burn people, is reminiscent of what's going on, because when you are banning people on social media, you're effectively burning books Um, because it's all referenced to censorship, Um, the parallels are striking, aren't they?
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, very much so. And, And you can trace them, Dave. The thing is, historically, they have the same points of origin. And this is what we were talking about before the program. I was telling you about the Jesuits. When the Jesuits were formed, they were formed specifically to overturn the Protestant Reformation, including things like the fruit of the Reformation, which is... Freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, freedom of the press. Remember, when the printing press was first developed, uh, what's the first book that they publish? The Bible, the Gutenberg Bible. Uh, freedom of speech, you can trace back, and, and we talk about this in true Christian history, uh, back to John Huss when he was burned at the stake in 1415. His followers were outraged. Uh, This led to the Hussite Wars that happened, where the Pope ordered the extermination of the Hussites, and the Hussites fought the Holy Roman Emperor and won. And in 1419, they developed what were called the Four Articles of Prague. And the first article was the free preaching of Holy Scripture, because that was the issue. John Huss was burned alive for preaching the Word of God. And so he wasn't allowed to speak freely, and and they were forbidding him from preaching God's word. And the Hussites said, wait a minute, no, we have a God-given right to preach the word of God, uh, and there's no reason this man should have been put to death. So that's really where the argument, I believe, at least I haven't found anything earlier, um, where speech is concerned, and and literally men taking up arms and fighting for that right, which they did. Uh, so freedom of speech, freedom of the press, um, the right to bear arms. The right to bear arms goes all the way back to Alfred the Great in the ninth century, where it was a requirement for men. All men had to be armed and ready for war at a moment's notice. That was like paying your taxes. Uh, so it wasn't even really thought of as a right. It was seen as a duty. If you were a man, you had to be armed. And you had to be trained in the use of arms. You had to be ready. When the king called you, you had to grab your sword or your spear or whatever and come out and be ready for battle. And that continued for centuries in English history until the Counter-Reformation. And then the Jesuits began with things like the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, the uh, Irish Massacre of 1641, and other events. They began to disarm the Protestants and then slaughter them afterwards and this began to happen in 1688 with king james ii he disarmed the protestants in england and uh, they said well we're not going to wait around to find out what happens next so they brought in william and mary mary was an heir to the throne they drove out james uh, from england put william and mary in power and then they drafted the english bill of rights of 1689 which included the right to bear arms And now they had to have it in writing because for the first time it was being threatened. Uh, It was something that had always been an assumed right prior to that. And now they put it in writing to protect it. But what they were fighting against, again, was the counter-reformation. And so the model for the Jesuits, what they did right at the beginning was go into education. That was their model was to get into the schools, the colleges, and the universities, and begin to train the kids from an early age to think the way that they wanted them to think. Uh, the Bible says that if you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I believe that Christians know that teaching, but I also think the devil knows it as well, and I think that's why he, insisted
0: Ladies and gentlemen, right now, go to MyPillow.com backslash Hodges. Use the coupon code Hodges to take advantage of these great opportunities. MyPillow.com backslash Hodges, coupon code Hodges.
1: fires his ministers of wickedness and oppression and so on to get into the schools and try to brainwash the kids as soon as possible. But, um, but yes, the, uh, if you if you study the history of the Jesuits and the Counter-Reformation Them getting into schools, colleges, and universities, and and really establishing, ultimately, thousands of, uh, thousands of schools all over the world, uh, to train the kids. But then, they're the ones who developed the phrase social justice in 1843. It's a Jesuit named Luigi Taparelli, who came up with the phrase social justice. Uh, and then if you study the history in the 19th century, you find the Jesuits working with Karl Marx in the 1850s. Uh, and it appears, my belief is, that this Jesuit method of getting into the schools and so on was then adopted by those who were involved in Marxism and socialism, and they adopted that as their method through the 19th into the 20th century, if that makes sense.
0: It makes a lot of sense here, and you're spending, uh, sending my mind spinning. It really comes down, in my mind, to power. Uh, I've often said liberals, what's the number one thing liberals like? Power. They want power mm-hmm. over people's decision-making, even power over their thinking. And I'm, you're, you're looking at uh, the Jesuits aligning with Marxists, which is one of the epitomes of, of control over citizens. I think that kind of closes the case. So, really, well, this is all about uh, dictatorial uh, behavior on the part of a ruling class.
1: Absolutely. Now, one, now a resource I would point to people, uh, just so, so if they want to do their own research and confirm what I'm saying, which there's a lot of books I would have to lead you to, but one in particular, look for the book by J.A. Wiley, the historian J.A. Wiley, uh, back in 1881 think about that date 1881 Wiley who was a great historian wrote a book on the Jesuits their moral maxims and plots against kings etc and in that book he says that the Jesuits use communism as a weapon against countries they are trying to control specifically now to take it a step further to tell your audience why this is so important to us today Georgetown University is the Jesuit headquarters here in the United States of America. If you pay attention to announcements that are made from Georgetown University, you will begin to realize that the people who are running Georgetown somehow or other have an inside track into a lot of what's going on. Uh, Dr. Fauci is a Jesuit. Dr. Birx, the lady with the scarf, his sidekick, is a Jesuit. Uh, Joe Biden goes to a Jesuit church there in Washington, D.C. Nancy Pelosi and John Boehner put the first Jesuit priest in as chaplain of the House years ago, back when Boehner was Speaker of the House. Uh, many of those, uh, uh, Redfield, who was the head of the CDC, Center for Disease Control, yes, uh, he was a Jesuit. Uh, all, all, of the, all of the players, Bill and Melinda Gates are Jesuits. They get millions of dollars a year to the Jesuit order, to their Cristo Rey education system. You can look that up. Uh, when uh, uh, Melinda Gates gave her TED Talk you know, before all the globalist audience, but she went out of her way to talk about how she has a Jesuit in her family, etc. And, and she comes from a very, very devout Catholic family. Um, and not, not all Catholics are bad and politically. Uh, they, you know, there, there are those who are certainly loyal to our country, I believe, but the real problem is the Jesuit order. They're the, you know, the late Dr. Ian Paisley called them the Gestapo of the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> you know, the front men who carry out the Pope's orders throughout Christendom. I see them as like the uh, the Vatican CIA. And once you study them, let me just give you a couple of quick quotes. John Adams, President Adams said, I know of no body of men more deserving of eternal perdition on earth or in hell than these sons of Loyola, meaning the Jesuit order, in a letter to Thomas Jefferson. Okay? You have a quote from the Marquis de Lafayette, who served with George Washington. Lafayette said, if these states, the United States of America, should ever lose their liberty, it will be at the hand of the Roman Catholic Jesuit priests for they are the most crafty enemies of civil and religious liberty. That was the warning we got back in the early 19th century. So there's actually a lot of American um, figures and historic figures, people like Napoleon Bonaparte and many others, who talked about the Jesuits, wrote about them, warned about them, In fact, in my research, I usually tell my radio audience, let me tell you what happened to me like six months ago. I, have for years, told my radio audience that they began rewriting history books in the 1920s because that was discovered by the Reese Committee in the 1950s, by the U.S. Congress, basically. Discovered that Rockefeller, Ford, Carnegie got control of writing American history books and they started changing them. and and altering the record of history to take the thinking of our young people in the schools away from our Bible-based, constitutional-focused education toward this Marxist, socialist, communist worldview. But this was done deliberately, and this is all documented. In fact, one of the projects we're working on right now uh, is on the Rees committee. Or that's going to be one of our next documentaries.
0: Does this, does this relate back to the Tavistock Institute as well?
1: Quite possibly. I mean, I wouldn't. It, it would not. I have not yet found the connection there, but it would not surprise me at all. Because once you dis, once you get into these tax exempt foundations, Rockefeller, Ford, uh, Guggenheim, Carnegie. Uh, and now we're dealing with George Soros and the Gates and, and the Clinton Foundation and others. Now Black Lives Matter has a foundation. Uh, these are all groups that are sheltering billions of dollars of money in their bank accounts that they're not paying taxes on. And then they send their messengers out and they look at all of us and say, You need to pay your fair share. You know, we need to, rem- we need to bear this in mind whenever we hear that. They're, they're telling us. To pay our fair share and they're sheltering billions and billions of dollars so they're not paying any taxes on and using their tax-exempt money to finance communism and socialism that's what they're doing um, and somehow we're letting them get away with it it's uh, I mean it's an incredible deception but those foundations go back to the early part of the 20th century and getting control of our education system I mean, it's fully documented. There's even a book called Foundations, Their Power and Influence by Rene Wormser. Wormser was the lawyer for the Reese Committee. And so he, he, was, he worked on the committee. He wrote about what they did. Uh, and, and what they did was they, they began to employ, because when, when they wanted to rewrite the history books, they went and approached the leading historians of the time. And the leading historians said, no, we're not going to. They said, you know, are you willing to change the history books this way, this way, and that way? And they said, no, of course not. You know, they, they just completely rejected the idea. They thought this is deception. We're not going to have anything to do with that. And so the, uh, the older uh, established historians refused to cooperate. So they said, okay, we have to get our own collection of scholars. So they went after young people Who were up and coming And this is, this is all documented Went after these young people uh, Flew them, put them on a plane According to Dodd Norman Dodd was the director of research For the Reese Committee According to his testimony They put these young people on a plane Flew them to London Got them out of the country And then told them what they wanted them to do uh, To basically begin to manipulate History books and teaching etc to slowly steadily move american education toward marxism and collectivism as they called it and away from any kind of traditional bible-based constitution viewpoint and that if they agree to this then they'll pay their way you know they'll make sure they get the scholarships they get the grants They get the position on the committee. They become the dean of this school or that school or whatever. They're going to make sure that they advance their career financially. What's the
0: organization that really led the charge on this?
1: Mainly it was Carnegie. Carnegie was the beginning, the Carnegie Foundation or the Carnegie Endowment. You you, you have Carnegie, the Ford Foundation, and then the Rockefeller Foundation. Those were the big three that uh, back... Uh, in the 1920s and that's where they started this whole program according to Norman Dodd anybody can go online if you go online to YouTube and you type in Norman Dodd, D-O-D-D and you watch the interview that he gave with G. Edward Griffin years ago Dodd explains this whole thing and and again he was working for the United States Congress so this is not just some conspiracy theorist this, this is a guy who actually did the, the research he was there and they actually got to go and review the records of these foundations to read their minutes going back to the early part of the 20th century. That's the thing that's so remarkable about it. So what we're seeing today, Dave, with all of these young people graduating and they're all pushing socialism and Marxism and they're anti-American and they're flying communist flags, this is not an accident, this is by design. This, this, is, this is what they have been working on now for about 100 years in our country. It's just incredible how long this conspiracy to overthrow the United States, how far it goes back.
0: The um, Soviets had a plan, we know this from their defectors like Golitsyn, that uh, they would come here, they knew they could not win con- uh, conventional or nuclear warfare, so they sought to undermine the American society, to infiltration into entertainment, the media and so forth. Is there any evidence the Soviets ever linked up with this group?
1: Linked up with, no, in other words, no, they what, might
0: have combined forces, shared you know, common purposes with, oh, with the Soviet infiltrators. Uh,
1: well, my my understanding about the uh, the context there is, I mean, I my understanding is that yes. You had, you had Soviets, people from the Soviet Union, but then you've got people in Wall Street. Uh, I interviewed recently G. Edward Griffin himself, because he's done so much research on this. And when I was talking to him, he was saying, you know, the problem was not nearly as much Russia, even though, yes, certainly there are a lot of communists in Russia. He says, we had people right here in America who were influencing Russia. There's the book "Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution," about right. you know how American money people, American investors, were instigating the Bolshevik Revolution, the overthrow of the Russian government under the Czar, uh, and through communism, using communism and socialism and so on. It's it is a. You know, I'm sure you're familiar with a speech that was given by JFK before he was assassinated. Talking about secret societies and.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called a secret society speech.
1: Yeah, and he's talking about an international movement, a hidden cabal uh, of secret groups, and really he's talking about international communism, which is really what globalism is. Globalism is international socialism, communism, etc. And they have, obviously, they have been building networks, these international groups like the Bilderbergs and World Health Organization, the United Nations, European Union, there's now the World Economic Forum. They've got all of these different globalist organizations, but they're all moving in the same direction. And I don't think that we have ever seen them. I've been studying this now for more than 20 years, but I don't believe we've ever seen them move in such lockstep unison globally as we did once coronavirus happened.
0: You know, I said exactly the same thing in print about a year and a half ago. I said, show me a time in history where the world leaders marched together. But a lot of this, not all the world leaders did, but many of them did. But I'm sure you're aware of this. There is a common link between many of these world leaders, and it has to do with uh, training programs at the World Economic Forum.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. And what they're doing, what I believe they're doing, Dave, at World Economic Forum, they are continuing, because what they're doing is they're financing all these young people, paying their way through college. I think Obama was a part of this program. Yes. I, I think that, they, you know, he didn't get into Harvard on his own, uh, I don't believe. I, I don't believe he did. I, I, I think he had people who wanted him to go to Harvard uh, because they saw a potential Marxist leader, uh, that they could use as an instrument in the future.
0: Well, Zygmunt Brzezinski uh, mentored him, so, yeah, I think you're right on the money with that.
1: And and then you look at Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, uh, their leaders, they're they're admitting that they're well-trained Marxists, and you trace their, who are the people that train them? Well, they admitted that their trainers were the guys who had been with the Weather Underground, and the Weather Underground oh, yes. was... Founded by William Ayers. Yeah. Obama's career was launched from William Ayers' living room, supposedly. That's what the reports claim.
0: Oh, you know, they'll say supposedly. You're 100% right. When Sheriff Joe Rapio, formerly a sheriff of Maricopa County, uh, struck back at Obama for his harassment with what uh, was happening with immigration, he did a deep dive, Opio did a deep dive into Obama's background. And you're right. It, the home of uh, heirs in Hyde Park, Chicago, they launched the um, the, um, the senatorial candidacy for for Obama in the state senate in Illinois, and he also brought in the. Um, The the mailman and his name jumps out of my head right now, but the mailman filed an affidavit in this investigation with Maricopa County, and he said, "Oh yeah, because I ran into Obama a few times at the heir's house as I was delivering mail. We'd talk. Yeah, I'm going to be the president. I've got all these powerful friends." And he was telling this guy what was going to happen.
1: And now now to take a step further. And bring it back to the Jesuit order. Look up when you get it. Unless you know about this already, you may already know about a guy named Gregory Galuzzo. Gregory Galuzzo, who is is interviewed in I want to say a Chicago magazine. Galuzzo, who was a Jesuit, okay, Uh, he was a Jesuit priest. I think he officially left the order. But they say once a Jesuit, always a Jesuit. Being a Jesuit is like being in the CIA, which you never really get out. And the Lutz, claims that he was the guy who was responsible for Obama's grassroots movement that ultimately put him in the White House. So you have that connection. Um, and right before, right before the, the uh, everybody's that clip, I'm sure most of your audience is seeing the clip, where Dr. Fauci is giving a speech and he says, I guarantee you that this administration will see a surprise pandemic, you know that speech? Yes. Well, he was at Georgetown University Jesuit headquarters uh, giving that speech. So it's all of these groups are intertwined. I mean, there's and, and there's so many of them, it's, it's hard to keep track of them after a while. But I think they come together with groups like the United Nations, the European Union, World Economic Forum, now the uh World Government Summit, where they're openly proclaiming a new world order. They're, they're saying, are we ready for a new world order?
0: Uh, yeah.
1: And then oh, the Vatican yeah.
0: Obama <laughs> said... Obama uh, said... No, excuse me. Biden said America will lead the way into the new world order. He said that about six months ago. Yes. Yes. So very much, very much. So, I got. I want to ask you a couple of questions before we run out of time. Uh, the first one has to do with false flags. We know the Nazis, you know, burned down the Reichstag, and it kind of is the model for false flags. But mm-hmm. are, are these groups we're talking about, particularly the Jesuits, are they known for shaping political ideology through the use of false flags and bringing about social and political change?
1: I think they are. I mean, I I would say generally, yes. Uh, I mean, a false flag type activity, you know, where where you commit a crime and blame it on somebody else, I mean, that goes all the way back to Nero in the first century, which all of these groups will be familiar with. And I think it's kind of the model that they use, because Nero burned Rome and blamed it on the Christians. I mean, that was like the ultimate false flag. Uh, Burn it down, blame it on the Christians, and then... Uh, go and use that as an excuse to round up the Christians and kill them. Uh, so I, I'm. it would not surprise me, I'm trying to think of examples historically of false flags, but making false accusations, using false accusations, and then using that as a pretense to go and launch an attack on someone, uh, certainly that is something that, you know, the Inquisition was known for doing that.
0: Yeah, before. here's why I asked the question. Mass shooters um overwhelmingly going back to the uh, and we could even go back even before Clinton with Bush and you go forward nearly all, not all, but nearly all of your mass murder situations like Buffalo, you know, Oklahoma City, um 9/11 would be the exception to that, but most of them occur on Democratic Watch. And, I, and there's the pattern is unmistakable. I've written an article about it where I linked it out. This president, this has occurred under his presidency, and um, we're seeing a real uptick under Bush, under Biden. So I, that's why I asked a question. I, I don't even know if there's an answer to it. I'm just saying it's a thought that's in my mind. Is this how? I mean, Biden didn't go up, and this is what really disturbed me when he talked to the Buffalo families, and this was nationally publicized, of course. He didn't express great remorse and sorrow and empathy for the victims' families, which that should have been the primary focus. And then if he's got political points to make, make it away from the families. That wasn't, I thought that was so inappropriate. And yet he used his entire speech to attack the First and Second Amendment. And Doug and I have found things in the manifesto that we have real issues with in terms of linking to an 18-year-old kid. But that's another story for another day. But that's why I asked the question, because this theme keeps coming up. Um, and it's always po- these events are always politicized, and they happen mostly under Democrats. Um, and, uh, maybe you haven't made the connection, but uh, to me, it's it, there's a pretty clear connection between Democrats and false flag mass murder situations.
1: Well, you're talking about, uh, obviously, you're talking about these random shootings that go on. Yes. Where some there's some shooter, and then they they call him a white supremacist, and then they say now we got to crack down on the Second Amendment. Uh, my understanding of all that, whenever that happens, because there's a pattern to it, I go back to the book by William Cooper. You know the book Behold a Pale Horse, yes, mm-hmm. where he he wrote that back in the '90s. And while there's things in that book I wouldn't necessarily agree with, one of the things I've always remembered is he claimed that when he was involved in naval intelligence. That he stumbled upon some program by the CIA to uh, for to, for the use of psychotropic drugs with people who are mentally ill, who have a mental illness, and then they get them on one of these type of drugs that they prescribe for them, and that one of the side effects of the drugs supposedly is that they have thoughts of homicide, and that this was all part of the CIA program to have these people flip out, engage in these mass shootings. And then to turn around and have the media attack the Second Amendment. And he wrote this back in the 90s. And, of course, back then, you didn't really have the pattern. But if you study all these different events, including this one in Buffalo, they all have the same pattern. Exactly.
0: And I know about the program you're talking about. And you're talking to a former – I used to be a mental health therapist – and uh, I taught the subject uh, to everything from uh, uh, secondary to post-secondary and postgraduate. So this is in my uh, wheelhouse, so to speak. And I can tell you this. You can enact like violent behavior through repeatedly withdrawing psychotropic medication of certain types, whether it's Wellbutrin or Prozac. Um, you get them to take it for six weeks, withdraw it for a week. No reaction, no violence. You can repeat the process. In fact, the black box warnings on these psychiatric drugs warn against sudden secession. Don't do this without a doctor's approval because you can get suicidal and or violent enacting behavior. So you're right on the money. Chris, we got about a minute left. I could do this for three hours. This is so dark fascinating. <laughs> But uh, you know, I wanted to give you a little time to talk. By the way, too, I'm going to twist your arm here. You got to come back on the show. In fact, actually, I think Doug and I want to get you on the Doug and Dave Intel Report too. This is just too much good stuff. But tell people how they can follow your good work. Well,
1: they can they can check us out at our main website, which is adullamfilms.com, and then adullam a d u l l a m films f i l m s dot com. Mm-hmm. That's a main- where you'll find our documentaries and other resources that we make available. Uh, also, our radio website is at Noise of Noise of where you can listen to our podcast, and we've got dozens of uh, archive shows there uh, for those who are interested.
0: That's fascinating. Um, I'm glad you're getting this out. You know, one thing occurred to me, just a final postscript as we close. Obama um, was brought into the um, uh, Chicago Climate Exchange kind of ahead of its time for what they want to do to us with climate change. And Valerie Jarrett was his partner, and Valerie Jarrett's relatives are all in the Muslim Brotherhood, small world. Anyway, I want to thank you for joining us. The fascinating, fascinating stuff. You're just like an encyclopedia of history. It's incredible. Chris, we're going to get you back on. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Common Sense Show.
1: Well thank you Dave and it's been a real pleasure. Thank you God bless. All right. God bless you.